0: The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. El Salvador adopts Bitcoin as a coin of the realm. And Roger Federer's sneaker investment is coming to Wall Street, not Parada Stay tuned. Welcome to the Views Room. I'm Rob Cox, the Zurich-based editor of Breaking Views, the financial commentary arm of Reuters News. This week we travel to El Salvador to discuss the Central American country's decision to make Bitcoin an official currency. OK, we didn't actually go to El Salvador, but Richard Beals in New York and Gina Chan in Washington discussed this unusual decision south of the border. They also talk more broadly about how regulators and policymakers are scrambling to keep up with new developments in the cryptocurrency markets. After that, Karen Kwok in London talks about Swiss running shoemaker on's upcoming initial public offering. The company benefits from a Swiss brand premium, but curiously chose New York, not Zurich, to go public, and relegated the two big Swiss banks, Credit Suisse and UBS, to the side courts in the deal, with Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, and Morgan Stanley playing center court. Give a listen. Greetings, Richard and Gina. You guys this week wrote a couple of interesting stories about well about cryptocurrencies let's start con el primo which is the idea that uh, el salvador is going to be adopting bitcoin as a coin of the realm uh, you wrote about this richard uh, interesting concept you say but like so totally flawed to be using bitcoin give us a give us an idea
1: it's the first country to give it a try to say you know el salvador already uses the dollar rather than any other currency and the president has been pushing through in pretty much record time, three months, um, the ability or the the, the the use of Bitcoin as an as official currency. And he's offering everybody a government wallet, which, by the way, hasn't worked very well. This all began on Tuesday. There's been some teething problems with that. You know, the problems are kind of obvious. I mean, as if to greet this development, Bitcoin had a sort of flash crash yesterday afternoon. Uh, Tuesday afternoon fell almost 20% before recovering. I mean, it's highly volatile. In a poor country, it's a really weird thing to encourage people to hold. I mean, that that and the money laundering and regulation issues are all the negatives that make it kind of hard, your head explode to, to imagine it's a really good idea for, for people in El, El Salvador to use every day
0: is, I mean, I suppose, let's talk about this. Remittances are, I think you wrote there, about a quarter or more of the GDP of the country. And those are yep. that's those are subject to huge fees that are being swiped away by the likes of Western Union, I suppose, and others when right. you know, El Salvadoran workers in Los Angeles send money to their families. So how would Bitcoin or slash a digital currency rectify that?
1: Well, so so this is this is where... There's a grain of logic or a grain of common sense in doing this, right? You have six billion remittances uh, a year back to El Salvador, one of the highest proportions of GDP, nearly a quarter of, of any country. And it, well, if six billion is is one from one source, the the government of El Salvador reckons 400 million of that goes in commissions every year. Um, so it's quite a big chunk, and the whole point of digital currencies, is one, one of the points is supposed to be you can make transactions easily, super cheaply, essentially free. And the, the other issue in El Salvador and other places too is you have a lot of people who don't have bank accounts. So if what you're doing is if you can provide an alternative way for unbanked people to become better banked and for remittances and, and other transactions to be done much more cheaply, then that could be a huge benefit. Just Bitcoin doesn't seem the right vehicle for that.
0: Right, right. Now, I mean, this fits in, Gina, you wrote this piece about the wider question of what sort of systemic risks cryptocurrencies in general pose to f- the financial system. This was based a bit on, I guess, Gary Gensler, the chairman of, of the SEC, had made some comments. But what, what is your sense? Are, are a lot of people, yeah, the people who think about systemic risk, like at central banks, the Federal Reserve. Are they they worrying? Is that what's happening here?
2: Yeah, they are worried. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell recently told Congress that this definitely is um, on their radar, and he highlighted stablecoins. In particular, um, that seems to be the first area that regulators in the United States are taking a look at. The problem is that they're really slow at this kind of stuff. There's been, you know, working papers and various meetings, but it hasn't really led to any concrete ideas so far. And part of the problem is, is that there's still some ambiguity about which agency should oversee what. Gary Gensler, the SEC chair, has recently told lawmakers that his agency might need um, additional authority uh, by Congress to regulate crypto exchanges and and other services. So it's definitely a growing problem. It's on the radar, but they haven't quite figured out how to tackle it yet.
0: It's interesting in the context of this idea, you know, as Richard points out, that Bitcoin isn't stablecoin. Bitcoin's value yep. is whatever people pay for whereas a stablecoin in theory is supposed to be backed by assets uh, like a dollar or something like yeah. that. But what's the issue? So is its is it that, is it this sort of almost like a money market fund problem where you say, ah, well, we guarantee that it's worth X. And in theory, that means you hold assets that would pay you X in the event of a problem, right? But that's, there's no regulation, or it, it's not clear that a stable coin actually will pay you what it says it's going to pay you.
2: Yeah, no, that's that's exactly the issue is that people see it as as the name implies to be more stable than other cryptocurrencies, Um, but then you sort of peel the layers back and you're seeing this with some of the biggest names in that space, including Tether and what's known as USD coin, which is um, issued by Circle and, and some others, where they've come out with their independent accountant reports that showed that their assets are backed by some less liquid instruments and that only a certain portion are backed by cash. So in the case of Tether, which is the largest stable coin, they have about $68 billion worth in circulation. That's more than half of the total market. In their report, as of the end of June, only 10% of Tether's assets were actually backed by cash and bank deposits. A big chunk of it almost half was backed by commercial paper. So that has implications, not oh. only for Tether, uh, but <laughs> for, yeah, the broader <laughs> money market.
0: It <laughs> gives one a little bit of like a 2007 vibe when yes. you start. But I mean, <laughs> it me, proportionally, uh, is this, is it systemic or is it just that it, a bunch of people lose money and be sad and a lot of people in El Salvador will be poor
2: yeah they you know obviously tether at at sixty eight billion in circulation it's you know not as big as as you know bitcoin and and some others, but in terms of the the commercial paper market, they're actually much bigger than you would realize i mean they held about uh thirty one billion dollars worth um As of the end of June, that equals about 20 percent of the total short term corporate debt held by prime money market funds, um, according to the Investment Company Institute. So they're a huge player. And even Fitch uh, came out with a report in July that warned if there was some sort of mass redemption and tether that could have ripple effects in short term uh, corporate credit markets.
0: So I'm thinking like a run on stable coin creates a huge disruption in the commercial paper market, which then goes into gets further into the bank market and yep. just plenty of corporations.
2: Yeah,
1: to, and we but, but, saw you know, that. We, Sorry. Go ahead, Rick. Yeah, we, we, we you know, it, it's interesting. It's, it's sort of different ways of looking at this, this question, right? I mean, these are all echoes. Commercial paper run on the bank are all echoes of the 2008 crisis and makes us all tear our hair out. But... And actually stable, stable coin would be a much better way, it seems to me, of implementing what El Salvador wants to do than. So Bitcoin without the volatility, without the perhaps without the environmental impact, just banking people who aren't banked and enabling transactions more smoothly, remittances and things like that. A stable coin makes much more sense than Bitcoin does. So you know on the one hand it, there are some good things about stable coins on the other hand of course you do actually want them to be stable
0: is there yeah, anything stable well, than a us you know central bank digital currency
2: well even for uh stable coins to as to richard's point so um the usd coin when it came out that only 60% was backed by cash there was actually a big backlash and so uh, starting this month they said um all of their reserves would actually be in cash and treasury. So they turned around and um, and did make it indeed more stable. And so, but that's something they did voluntarily because of sort of the, the reputational issues um, that were swirling around them because of this. There's No regulation that you know forced them to do this so everyone's sort of making it up as as they go and um tether so far is sticking to their guns and um not uh converting everything uh into cash and and treasuries
0: tether that's a that's such a it's sort of a winky wink name right it's tethered (laughs) richard if you're going to develop a digital currency
1: what would you call it And <laughs> put me on the spot with that. Um let me um, <laughs> How about you? I will we'll give Richard a, a second to think.
2: I know they all seem to have like what what was the one that was also in the news earlier this week or last week? Car- Cardona or something that sounded like a jean brand. Yeah. Um <laughs> I don't know. I I feel like all this is um sort of a bit pie in the sky, so I don't know, something around um you know Caffeine, <laughs> some play on the word caffeine. Or,
1: um, maybe, maybe, uh, we should get, maybe we should get the rights to FedCoin before the Fed does. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's,
2: yeah.
0: If you want it to succeed, yes. You want it to sound something like with stable, USD. Yeah, something like that, <laughs> yeah exactly. You know, like, yeah, uh, if you want, but I don't know, more likely you call it like falter, you know, instead of tether. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's probably the more realistic <laughs> Well, anyway, you guys, thank you very much. Uh, keep up with the good. Right. Thank you guys very much. I'll talk to you again soon. Bye, Thanks. Greetings, Karen. How is London treating you?
3: London is great. How about you?
0: Not bad. I was in the States recently and saw the, went to the U.S. Open tennis tournament, and that got me thinking about tennis and your story. You've written a couple of stories now about Rod. Roger Federer backed uh, shoe tennis shoe. Well, actually, they're running shoe, but uh, shoemaker on out of Switzerland. Now, you've written a couple pieces about this to explain a little bit. Are, is this the next Nike that we're looking at?
3: Well, um, you can say that because currently um, they are actually just, as you said, focus on running shoes. So uh, it all started like they have this really simple design, cloud technology that they claim it will create comfort whenever you run um, with this special cushion. And it kind of created it like a cult following in their athletic community. Um, it got more popular then when Roger Federer invested in this company and also create a shoes that's named after him which is a limited edition and costs like over $200 a pair.
0: That's like the Roger. It looks like it looks to me like the the old white Adidas uh Stan Smiths with the but it, you know like if you look around people wearing those like white uh tennis sneakers with uh, with with suits and things like that and you get a little Roger Federer buzz. Now but but this thing this thing is growing fast, right? Didn't you say it's growing at something like what, 60% sales? Yes.
3: It is. So uh, this company, ON, uh, they filed uh, IPO, filing initial public offering in New York, and uh, they reviewed in their financial detail that their revenue in 2020, the pandemic year, rose like about 60% to 400 million Swiss francs, so making it the fastest growing spot brand of type. And even Lululemon and Nike, the big conglomerates, sporting goods conglomerate grew less than half as fast at that stage in 2020
0: right or at that that stage in their in their life cycle right
3: exactly
0: that's that's one of the things i saw in the the prospectus and in full disclosure i have a pair of these and they're they're pretty darn good Uh, (laughs) but they are pretty expensive uh the first pair actually the first pair i should disclose um that like there was a piece of it just kept kind of rubbed off really quickly when i was running so i ca- but i called them up and told them and they sent me another pair pretty quickly so customer service isn't so bad and wh- what's your sense of um of the valuation of this company
3: um so currently they published their price range which will make them um if the top of it uh, at the top of it they will worth more than six billion dollars which mm. is quite a big one a quite chunky one uh, on the public market
0: But that's what does that imply in terms of like valuation relative to, I don't know, you mentioned Lululemon or Nike? Nike.
3: Yeah, that would put it like like around seven to eight times 2021 sales, assuming they can keep growing as fast as last year. And comparatively, right, like Lululemon, which is like $53 billion uh, is trading at like around eight times as well. So it's quite in line with that. And for like $200 billion Nike, that is way ahead of Nike. Nike is trading at five times 2021
0: sales. Right. I and mean, Nike, of course, isn't going to, you can't grow at that size, uh, at the, at the yeah. growth that these guys are. Well, but there was a funny, you wrote a little interesting capital call today about this. And you said, you noted that while they are, they are taking full advantage of this sort of Swiss, uh what's the right way to think about this sort of swiss magic right like engineering as you say the souls and the rubber and this and then they've got the F- roger federer as a backer yet it's funny to see that they are actually listing the company not in zurich but in new york and uh the banks are uh, they're not the, the lead banks on this underwriting are not swiss are they
3: Yeah, so um, the lead banks, uh, we call it the lead left on the prospectus, are Goldman Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, and Morgan Stanley. Uh, Well, UBS and Credit Suisse, uh, the Swiss banks, they are part of the underwriters, but um, they are not on the leading roads, which raises the question, right? Like uh, Federer was also has been a brand ambassador of Credit Suisse. So where's his magic touch?
0: Well, brand ambassador means he got money from Credit Suisse. I'm not sure they expected much in return in terms of investment <laughs> banking. Uh, but but it, is, it is a bit puzzling why you know the Swiss are, to put it in a tennis analogy, they are not playing uh, center court at Arthur Ashe, but somewhere in the grandstand at the US Open. Anyway, uh, thank you very much, Karen, for that. And look forward to seeing your piece when the stock pops 50% on the first day.
3: Hopefully so. Good to speak to you.
0: Bye. That's our show for the week. Thanks to our producers, Sharon Lamb and Katrina Hamlin in Hong Kong. And to you, dear listener, for tuning in. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast exchange on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you go to get your podcast fixes. And check us out every day at BreakingViews.com. Bye-bye.